Yo, what's up, everybody? I'm Sean Devlin. And I'm Duncan Stevenson. And welcome to the sixth episode of The Stride. In today's episode, we'll be joined by Chris Lehman, who is the CEO of the Science Leadership Academy Schools in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's a great interview. Can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Let's do it. We'd like to welcome Chris Lehman onto the podcast. Uh, Mr. Lehman studied at the University of Pennsylvania as an undergraduate, where he earned a bachelor's degree in English, and then later in grad school at Columbia University, where he earned a master's degree in English teaching. Uh, Mr. Lehman then went on in 2005 to found the Science Leadership Academy, which has some really cool, innovative ideas about um, how the educational process should work for high school students. I mean, he now oversees the network of these academies in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, so we're psyched to have him on. Um, very thankful for him taking the time to talk with us. Uh, so welcome, Mr. Lehman, and how's quarantine been treating you? Oh, thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, fortunately, we've been very lucky in that everybody has stayed healthy. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're, you know, getting through it just like everybody else, I think. Uh, good days and bad days. I miss you know, uh, being around the kids and being active in the world. Uh, I am not, uh, I didn't sign up to be a virtual principal, so it's been a little frustrating, but you know, I think that's, that makes me, puts, puts me in very good company with a number of folks who are, you know, trying to figure this time out. Yeah, definitely the hardest part through all of this is just not being able to do the everyday activity with everyone else and seeing everyone, but yeah. So we'll get into our interview here. So we start off with this question with all our um, people we have on as guests. And uh, what is the most important quality of a good leader? Um, I would say humility, uh, you know, and all that comes with it, right? Like, so that idea that you have to be a reflective leader, that you have to be a good listener, that you have to um, be someone who knows what they don't know. I think, uh, and all of that starts with humility, right? Like, um, you know, we say the first, the first rule of uh, leadership is don't believe your own press releases, right? Like you really gotta stay grounded and stay humble and stay open to hearing the criticism, to thinking through things and to not assuming that the first thought you have is the best thought you're gonna have. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think one important aspect of that too is like just the self-reflection too and just uh being able to after you do something going back to the drawing board and just self-reflect about how you did it and every step of it how you can get better so we've talked about that with a couple of our past guests and i, I like that a lot so yeah it definitely reminds me of sam breslin's answer um um which was about how like self-awareness is key um and knowing your strength your weaknesses being able to delegate different responsibilities to other leaders within the organization and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, so definitely a common thread there, which is interesting. Um, but so now getting more into the Science Leadership Academy. Um, so a lot of our uh, listeners, just to give them a background, could you just explain, um, you know, what your program is there and how you aim to improve the experience of high school students? Yeah, so um, everything that we do at SLA is built around our five core values of inquiry. What are the big questions we can ask? Research, how do we find answers to those questions? Collaboration, how do we work together to make those answers deeper, better, richer? 
presentation, how do we show what we know and reflection, how do we step back and learn from what we've done? What that creates is a very active, very messy, very hands-on, very student-centered way of thinking about learning. Um, the other thing that really powers our school is the idea of the ethic of care, the idea that um, no subject we teach is more important than the child we teach. And just the idea, and again, that that creates this notion where like, students and teachers and adults and parents and kids and principals are all working together in this very active learning environment where the big questions that we ask together as a community and then the processes by which we seek out those answers and the artifacts that we create based on what we find really powers the learning of what we, of what we do. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So talking about the making the SLA a reality now. So, you know, when it first came as out as an idea, you know, every idea that has faces obstacles getting off the ground and everything. So what kind of obstacles did you face to make SLA a real thing? Uh, all of them. Um, you know, I mean, so when we started SLA back in 2000, we opened our doors in 2006. I worked on a project all throughout the 2005, six school year. Um, the school district of Philadelphia had not opened up a new high school in quite literally decades. And um, they were, you know, we had a great partner in the Franklin Institute. We had all of the uh, school district of Philadelphia rooting for us to succeed, which was wonderful. And we had to invent every process from scratch, right? So, and we had a lot of people, I think, who didn't believe that a public school in Philadelphia could be innovative and successful. Philly had been historically um, not a place where progressive ideas had taken hold, even despite the Parkway programs in the 1970s and Franklin Learning Center in the 1970s, but it had literally been that long since we'd seen sort of progressive ed in Philly and then public schools. Um, so that was a huge challenge. Um, plus, uh, Philadelphia, as many of our cities are, are, is a historically underfunded city when it comes to education. So you're looking at a situation where the per pupil expenditure that we were dealing with was less than half of what the per pupil expenditure of the surrounding districts were and, you know, the suburban districts. And that's a huge discrepancy today. Actually, it's, that gulf has only grown and is now three times um, in some places. Um, so there were a lot of structural inequities that we had to, that were huge challenges and then just a lot of inertia, right? People wanted, people, you know, had a very fixed idea of what they thought school could be. And a lot of people, even some very well-meaning people who thought they were being helpful, really tried to tell us, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. And we had to kind of say, no, 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 we know what we want. We have a, we have a North Star in our head of what this school is gonna be and we're gonna work towards that North Star. Um, so, you know, I think, Anytime you're trying to create change, anytime you're trying to do something in a positive balance for, to make something different, to innovate, um, one of the biggest obstacles you have is just, is just understanding all the players and how you're going to get those players on board with supporting you uh, as you try to do something different or at least be willing to kind of step aside and let you do what you're going to do. And, and you've got to figure out which, which folks will go with you on the journey, which folks you just need to get to step aside. That's a huge challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, you know, you faced all the obstacles really that for getting this off the ground. So was there a point when you thought that it wouldn't work and uh, how did you really get past that point? Um, well, I mean, COVID-19, no. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think there was ever a moment where we didn't think it could work. Um, okay. I kind of always had the mindset of like, 
this, there's a million reasons why this might not work. There's all of the challenges of trying to do something innovative in um, spaces that have not historically been particularly innovative. And my whole thing was, um, it can't be because of me, right? It can't be because I wasn't a good enough leader. So whatever the grind was, whatever the hustle was, whatever the, you know, whatever it took, I was going to make sure that at the end of it, win, lose, or draw, I was able to step back and say, you know what, like, for better or for worse, the best of who I was went into this, and um, I did everything I could. And I think the other thing that went with that is an understanding of to pull this off, given the challenges we faced, required a better version of me than existed at the time I started, right? Like, so there was this notion of like, how will I grow as a person, as a leader, on the fly as we're doing this so that way my challenges and flaws of which there are many um aren't the things that bring us down so how was i going to grow sort of real time along with this school to um make sure that it was going to succeed and i think that was always a huge concern of like what is you know that i was always asking myself was what is the best version of me that I can be for these kids and for these adults and for these families who've trusted us with their children? Yeah. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point, how the adversity that you can face can really mold you into a better version of yourself and make you really reflect on that and go back to the drawing board and then reflect and get better through that process. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so um, we listened to your Ted talk, um, which was great uh, before before this interview um and it really you have some really obviously um great ideas about like how to improve upon the educational experience in high school um and i see that kind of as like kind of a movement to i mean i know you started philadelphia but ideally i can assume like you'd like to see that take root at a lot of other places around the country um so what is it like kind of being a leader in the movement to sort of um maybe revolutionize how education uh, take shape in the United States? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, the answer is, I mean, on some level, again, it's incredibly humbling to think that this little school of 500 kids, now three schools of 1,700 kids in Philadelphia could have an impact nationally, right? Like that, like, let's start there, right? Like you, it's a hard enough dream to think that you can build one school of 500 that can be profoundly um, transformative for kids and for teachers and for yourself. It's another thing that you, you can build a small network of them. It's a whole other thing to think that the work that you do can be noticed and influential. So, um, you know, on that level, it's, you know, just deeply humbling. I think the other thing though, is that understanding, um, the limits of your influence is incredibly important and, and the notion of sort of what that influence looks like. Right. So the goal is not, you know, a thousand SLA schools all over the country, right? Like the goal is help any educator who is interested, help all any schools that are interested in becoming more inquiry driven, more student centered, more caring, more uh, authentic to the communities they serve and understanding that authentic to the communities you serve is going to look very, very different in rural West Texas than it does in Philadelphia, right? And, you know, there was a years ago, I was lucky enough to be in rural West, West Texas working for a day with a group of school leaders from all over that community. And, you know, they were like the 20 school teams in the, in the seven hour vicinity of where we were, right? Like, you know, which was 
ridiculous. Ge- geography is completely different yeah. than it was than it is in Philadelphia, where like you know you can't go four blocks without hitting a school, right? And talking about the differences and the manifestations of the challenges they face versus the challenges of Philadelphia, um, you know, like you know something something as simple as you know, talking with the principal and saying like, yeah, we've got to plan around the harvest every year because we lose our kids because they all leave to work the fields and da, 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 and so this and that. It's a very, very different experience than a kid in Philadelphia is having. Um, so understanding sort of as a leader, not, oh, go do this, but rather helping folks to ask many of the same questions we had to ask ourselves um as you know as we were building sla to have them think about their own schools and the answers they would come up with for the communities they serve and then i think the other thing is is just showing people what is possible right um stephen uh johnson has a wonderful book called where good ideas come from and he talks about the idea the adjacent possible right which is that most of us can only imagine a world sort of one step away from the world we currently inhabit and I think if we've done anything really well, it's that we've pushed the adjacent possible, right? So SLA's existence has allowed, people seeing SLA has allowed them to dream differently about their own schools. And I think that's something that's really super powerful. And again, you never take that for granted. You never stop being awed and humbled by people's reactions to the things that you do. And that drives you to find the time, create the time, to do stuff like this, right? To be on the other end of a phone call, to be on the other end of an email, to try to be someone who can be of use and service beyond your walls. Yeah, great. Yeah, no, I love how you talked about kind of just being a catalyst and kind of expanding people's imagination um, and where they think that next step is and kind of rerouting um, what people think is possible. Um, So another thing about uh, the Science Leadership Academy is you guys have a few essential questions and one of them being, uh, what does it mean to lead? Um, right. So could you just talk a little bit about um, how you guys approach this with your students and what role it plays in the school's curriculum? Yeah, I think it's about, again, it's about that notion of an empowering curriculum, right? Or an, or an authentic um, agency-driven curriculum where kids are really encouraged to unlock their own agency, right? Leadership doesn't necessarily have to, I mean, I think people have this idea in their head of like, leadership being like, you know, Bill Pullman in Independence Day, like, on this, our Independence Day, right? Exactly. Um, references Kenneth Branagh and, you know, Henry V or something like that. But like, that sort of big speech leadership. But like, leadership is a lot of things, right? And that notion of how do you, how do you create space for everybody to be a leader in varying moments, right? Not all the time. Um, you know, and what does that look like? How do you allow people space to discover their passions? How do you just create the space for people to be able to bring people with them? How do you teach people how to collaborate, right? Because in a truly collaborative environment, leadership is fluid, right? Like, and this person is working, and this person's working, and this person's working, and this notion of sort of distributed leadership um, at its heart comes from people coming together around an idea, around a concept, around a passion, around a, you know, fill in the blank, a project. Um, and then sort of figuring out the roles that everybody's gonna play and figuring out like, you know, if you say to someone like, hey, this is your ball, you know, run with it, we're gonna follow, then you gotta, as a leader, create space for them to do that. And I think when everybody does that, you create this ability for people to sort of see a great sense of ownership in their lives and in their work uh, that develops a sort of sense of agency that we see, and with agency comes that notion of leadership, right? So 
sometimes you have people who have leaderships like with a big capital L, right? Like, I mean, in some of the traditional ways you've seen in school, right? Like the captain of the basketball team, or the soccer team, or the ultimate frisbee team, um, you know, or, you know, the um, president of a club or of a class or what have you. But then there's all of those small moment leaderships of like where someone in, a, in you know, again, someone will take on a, a, a real sense of ownership of a project and bring their classmates along with them and like take to like, you know, I'll be the one to synthesize this or I'll be the one to figure help us figure out that. And that all comes with sort of a curriculum that encourages that kind of collaboration that requires a sense of leadership from all people and a belief, right? And at the end of the day, a belief that you can do that. Um, and I think that, that that in and of itself, like when you create these experiences where kids can then step back and reflect, wait, how did we get this done? Oh, wait, I took on this massive leadership role in this part of the project and we would have never gotten there if I hadn't done that. That's how you create those moments. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you said it right there. That's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is because we wanted to really exploit the the fact that there is a leadership in all sorts and places of life. And, you know, every part of life really has leadership moments where every person can take part of. So it sounds like your school is doing a really good job acknowledging that and teaching the kids that as well. But part of your system of empowerment revolves around the idea that you don't train your students compared to traditional education, but you really teach them. So could you talk about what you mean by the training versus teaching and what that really does for the students? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in a quick version, I think training is, you know, like the step-by-step, -step. like we will, at the end of this, you know, like, you know, we're going to, there's a sequence of events that if you learn how to do it, you can do a thing. And there's, there's room for that in the world, right? Like there's definitely moments where that's important, right? Like, but I think teaching is a much more holistic event, right? Um, it's less about a very, very prescriptively defined outcome versus a an understand right um versus a bigger understanding right i think teaching teaches to this notion of understanding training teaches towards this idea of like a very prescribed outcome right and again there's moments where you want that right like if you know if you're you know the guy who works on your car you want him to understand the software right and you might train them on the software but you want to teach him how to figure out what's wrong, right? Like, and I think that's the difference and both have space, right? So like when he goes, you know, or, you know, uh, you want to make sure that the surgeon knows how to use, you know, the piece of equipment that they're going to use, but, mm -hmm. and that's training. But you also want them when they're in the middle of an operation to be able to assess, to be able to shift, to be able to make you know, critical decisions and all the rest of that stuff. And they learn that through teaching. So if you think about sort of prescribed outcome, that feels more like training. If you think about habits of mind and process and critical thinking and decision-making, that feels more like teaching. Great, great. Um, yeah, I think that's a really great approach to it. Um, I can definitely see how that's a lot more helpful to people really expanding their knowledge. And yeah, as you said, just kind of one prescribed outcome as opposed to, you know, branching off to, you know, we could go this way, that way, knowing how to do a lot of different things. So yeah, that's great. Um, and then, so uh, this is our last question. We also asked everybody who comes on our pod this question, and it's great to see the different answers um, and who people look up to and why, but um, who would you say is a leader that you admire um, and why? 
Huh. Um, God, there's so many. Um, trying to think of just one. Uh, you know, you're trying to learn from everybody. Right. Um, you know, there's a guy, uh, well, there's a lot. There's, I mean, in the world of education, there's a woman, Deborah Meyer, um, who is sort of, I mean, she's, you know, in her 80s at this point and um, has spent her life building progressive schools and sustaining them and sustaining teachers and writing about them and, and talking about the potential of schools. I think she's amazing. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk with her a bunch over the years and she's just truly a visionary, but also very deeply sort of unlike just like the visionary who can spout the words, she's done the work. Mm -hmm. And her work is grounded so deeply in the humanity of people who live in our schools that it is just sort of inspiring. Um, another leader for me actually is uh, Pete Seeger, the old folk singer who, you know, um, risked everything, right? Was blacklisted because he of what he believed and never gave up and never lost hope and never stopped being this sort of positive, hopeful uh, advocate for, for real change. And, you know, I look at the idea that if, if you want to look at someone who has lived a life that was defined by the ideals they believed in, it was Pete Seeger, right? And, um, you know, he, when he was concerned about the pollution levels in the Hudson River, you know, he built a boat. And he got a whole bunch of people on that boat and he sailed up and down the Hudson River and at every port and stop, he was singing, singing songs and urging people to clean up the river. And it worked, right? Grassroots at its most basic level. And throughout his life, he was someone who did that kind of work and inspired millions. Um, you know, and there's lots of folks like that. There's lots of people who I think um, took what were positive and powerful ideals and chose to live by them and then structure their lives around them and, and to seek and make change with others and to bring others with them on their journey. I think Deborah Meyer is that, I think Pete Seeger is that. Um, you know, I think obviously if you go bigger than that, you know, somebody like a Martin Luther King is that, um, that's getting really ridiculously big. I mean, but on yeah. a smaller scale than that, I mean, if you look at Pete Seeger, if you look at Deborah Meyer, if you look at, um, yeah, if you look at somebody in Philadelphia, like Malcolm Jenkins, right, who, in addition to being a great football leader, you know, who said, wait, I have a platform, and that platform matters, and I'm going to use that platform to talk about issues of social justice, about, you know, criminal justice reform, I'm not going to be just a football player, right, like, quote, unquote, and instead I'm going to use this form that I've been given to make a big difference, and I think that if you look at people like that, who either through their own hard work or for whatever else, found themselves with a platform for making change and then brought people along in doing it, right? And did it not just as this sort of like, look at me, I'm the leader, but rather like who were inclusive and brought people with and sought to make change. Those are the folks that I really admire. Yeah, right? yeah. Those, those people are really great to people to look up to because they're, they're people who really get it. You know, they, they have this huge platform and they really use it for a greater good. And, um, that's a really good example that you brought up. But uh, yeah, that's all the time we have. Um, we really appreciate you joining us. This was an awesome interview. So uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. Good luck to you guys. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you, you for coming on. All right. My pleasure. Stay safe, guys. All right. So that was a really insightful uh, conversation uh, with Chris Lehman. Um, very interesting perspective on education and, you know, kind of how to lead a movement um, a pretty innovative 
with innovative ideas. Um, so Sean, what was the takeaway you had? Yeah, I think one thing that we really learned that I liked that he said was when he talked about the bit, the one of the best qualities of being a leader, and he really talked about humility. And uh, I think that's a really interesting point just because I, I think a good leader is someone who is a good listener, someone who reflects on who they are and someone who doesn't really boast about who they are too. And that's kind of what he meant by humility. So I really like that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that ties back to uh, Dr. Ozeri, um, our conversation with her um, and how she mentioned leaders uh, have to be vulnerable and, um, you know, kind of, you know, humility, vulnerability kind of ties that together. Um, you know, what really stuck out to me was how he thought, you know, throughout the process of creating Science Leadership Academy, um, which was pretty rare in Philadelphia, there hadn't been, he mentioned there hadn't been a, a new school, um, you know, openings uh, in decades. Um, and he never thought it would fail. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, that just shows the confidence uh, you have to have in yourself if you want to be a leader um, of anything. I think you have to have confidence yourself or why would anyone follow you? Um, so I don't know, it's a small point, but I thought it was really uh, important. Yeah. And then to that point, is just talking about the obstacles that he faced, you know, him saying, you know, we faced every obstacle out there, you know, and uh, the fact that with adversity, he came and he changed his ways a little bit. And, um, you know, he got better from that and he became a better leader. And he's, he's a person who always seems to be changing so that his ideas don't fail. And that's, um, that's a really good quality. That he yeah, had always too. evolving. Uh, that's been another common thread amongst the leaders we've talked to. Uh, leadership is something that has to evolve because the situation is constantly evolving. Your leadership has to match the situation. Um, so, yeah, it's been, been a common thread as well. So that's all we have for you guys today um, for this episode. Don't forget to follow our Twitter and Instagram pages at StridePod. I'm Sean Dublin. And I'm Duncan Stevenson. Listen for our next episode dropping soon. But uh, as always, we are the Stride. Thanks.